Well, let's close our eyes and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we give thanks this morning that we can come and hear of the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, to remember it, to join together in it uh, under you and to sing songs about how we now live in Christ. Now, Father, as we approach your word this morning, it's a word, uh, Lord, of leaning on your mercy, reminding ourselves uh, that you desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Father, it's a hard message to live in. So I pray this morning, just as we hear these words, as we hear your word, that you would speak to us. That we would see the places where we are clinging to our life outside of Christ through our sin and be reminded of the mercy we've received, the life that we now have and be able to rejoice and rest in you. We pray this for our joy and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our passage this morning from Matthew has us starting off in quite a, uh, almost a, everyday type of situation. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field on a Sabbath day and the disciples' tummies begin to rumble. They get hungry, as you do. And in those days, travellers were welcome as they travelled through the fields to grab a few heads of grain. It was a made allowance for inside of Jewish custom. And so they did. They plucked a few heads of grain, they rubbed it in their hands, blew on it, to be able to remove the husks and began to chow down. There's nothing uh, about this scene that seems untoward, aside from a crime against uh, culinary delights, perhaps. There doesn't seem to be anything obviously wrong going on here. But when the Pharisees see Jesus' disciples doing this, their antenna raise just what's going on here. It's the Sabbath day, a day set aside to honour the Lord. And the Pharisees were a passionate people about honouring the Lord on the Sabbath day. So they created, to be able to do it, Sabbath day rules, laws to follow. Rules put in place to protect, to guide and to ensure that the people would honour the Lord on this day. The uh, Mishnah, which is, I have no idea if that's pronounced correctly, which is the first written collection of Jewish oral, uh, oral traditions, has 39 kinds of labours that were not to be done on the Sabbath day. It's quite interesting reading them. You weren't allowed to prepare bread or have anything to do with any of the stages leading up to the preparation of bread. There was no sowing, no ploughing, no reaping, no binding of sheaves, no threshing, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading or baking. On top of that, there were rules very similar applied to the preparation of clothing. From the stages right at the beginning, you could not shear a sheep right through to sewing that cloth together. Similarly, you could not prepare meat or leather or have anything to do with writing or building, kindling fires or extinguishing fires, looking in mirrors or lighting a candle. 
the Pharisees were passionate about the Sabbath day, about making sure they would honour the Lord according to these rules. And at times they took them so seriously, they would have been considered extreme, extreme. On one occasion in the days of the Maccabees, an enemy attacked Jerusalem on a Sabbath day. And so they didn't lift a hand in defence or in surrender. Instead, they preferred to be slaughtered, the men, the women and the children, so that they would not break the laws of the Sabbath. Uh, Josephus, a well-known ancient historian, a little after Jesus' time, tells of a conqueror called Pompey the Great, who waged war against Jerusalem. And he used Sabbath days as a part of his strategic tactics to make sure that he could conquer Jerusalem. He built his earthworks on the Sabbath day so that none of the defenders would even lift a finger to stop him from doing it. And it cost them greatly as a town and as a city. And yet, at other times, we read in Scripture, the Pharisees are described as hypocrites. People that set heavy laws, heavy burdens upon the people, and yet did not follow them themselves. But our understanding this morning is that all these rules... This extremity of heart was put in place to honour the Lord, to please him, to earn his honour, uh, his favour. And so they take significant issue with seeing Jesus' disciples rubbing this grain in their hand, preparing a meal for themselves in this way, working. They're not following the rules. They're not pleasing the Lord, honouring him, earning his favour. I think it's safe to say that we all have something of a Pharisee in our own hearts. To cling to laws or rules, perhaps even to make up our own, to ensure that we honour the Lord and to earn his favour. And like the Pharisees, at times we can take these rules of our own to extremes, I remember as a, in my early 20s, having just become a Christian, standing before mum and dad in the lounge room, filled with righteous anger because they were watching TV. And I thought to myself, surely a Christian has more Lord-honouring activities to be doing than watching TV. And I don't know if I said it to them or not. I, I may have. <laughs> that I thought they were condemned because of it. And to console myself over the loss of my parents, I would have gone into my room and probably watched The Simpsons. <laughs> and you get something of that extreme and the hypocrisy that can go with it. But thankfully, now I'm a 35-year-old pastor, and that was years ago. Those laws have come and gone now the Pharisee in my heart has created new sets, new sets of rules. This week I discovered uh, yet a new one that I wasn't even aware that I had. I thought to myself, a pastor must be the smartest person in the room, the most intelligent, know the answers, have all the wisdom. 
It seems like a stupid thing to think, doesn't it? Totally stupid, and yet, even this week, it had me in tears, questioning my calling. These stupid rules that cut us so deeply. And the stupidity of it, it doubles down. Um, and you're allowed to laugh at this. It's stupid because it's a rule applied to information processing that I've created and I'm a dyslexic. I, I struggle to process information. I've created a rule that cuts me out. Um, stupid, our rules, our rules, my rules. I think it's safe to say that we can have all have a Pharisee in our heart for the sake of honouring the Lord. Our hearts have a terrible tendency to come back to creating these rules and these laws. Often, even without us being conscious of creating them, rules that do cut ourselves and also the people around us. Our hearts do that all by themselves. And here the Pharisees are enforcing the rules that they've made. Enforcing their own rules upon Jesus of all people and his disciples. Well, Jesus responds to the Pharisees' questions with two questions of his own, two examples that they themselves would have known of where their rules regarding the Sabbath fall flat. His first question concerns their knowledge of David's actions in the past. In 1 Samuel 21, David arrives at Nob on a mission from the king. Like the disciples, David and his men are hungry, often the motivation for many men. So they ask the priest for bread. But the only bread that is available is the bread of the presence. And this is unique bread, bread that is holy. It's been created and mandated by the Lord to be created a very specific way and fills a function with inside of the temple. It's built, it's made out of the best of the flowers of exact measures. It's placed on a table made of gold amongst frankincense in front of the Lord. And it's done every week as a symbol and a reminder of Israel's uh, faithfulness and constant reliance upon the covenant. But it's the only bread that's there. And it's a bread that can only be eaten by the priests, and even then, only in a holy setting, because it's holy bread. And yet here is David, a warrior, and his men, who are not priests, and they're given the bread because they're hungry, and they eat it, and it's not. Uh, they are considered guiltless. There's no ramifications. The second question that Jesus asked the Pharisees to consider concerns the action of modern-day priests. Their modern-day, not ours. Every Sabbath, the priests were to offer up two lambs as an offering, as well as the normal daily offerings. And so you see that Sabbath days, the priests themselves were breaking the Sabbath day rules. They were slaughtering animals. They were working throughout the day. And yet they're considered guiltless. There are these exceptions, it seems, to the rules that the Pharisees have made. And what it points out, and what Jesus makes clear, 
is that there is something wrong with how the Pharisees understand the Sabbath. In fact, there's something wrong with how they understand the heart of the Lord on the Sabbath towards his people. And it's leading them to condemn the innocent. They don't understand the heart God has for his people, but the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, will make it clear to them. If you had known what this means, he says, quoting Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. David and his hungry men, the priests, and even the disciples are not guilty because unlike the Pharisees, God has a heart to show them mercy. A delight, in fact, in showing those that he can mercy. To understand this, we go to our other passage from Genesis 22, speaking of Abraham and the call to sacrifice that he receives from the Lord. Sacrifice was common in those days in the land of Ur, where Abraham came from, and in fact is, was common across the world. It was like following the rules and the laws that the Pharisees make up, a way in which the people honoured and earned the blessings of their gods, a way in which they showed their devotion to those gods in order to have successful harvest, family that was healthy, a good year in general, you would sacrifice to the gods to earn their favour. And if you didn't have a good year, it all came down to your sacrifice not being enough. You didn't give enough. It wasn't precious enough. And so you didn't earn the favour of the God. And the whole weight of the relationship that existed between God and man rested on the sacrifice that was offered by men. It was horrible. And as you read, and as I did read this week, on some of the practices on what was being sacrificed, adults, children, whether your own or others, in horrible ways, it's, uh, it's stunning. And yet, it was commonplace and uh, very well uh, often done. And so we read in Genesis 22, 1 to 12, that Abraham is commanded by God, our God, to give a sacrifice. And he goes about to do it, to sacrifice the son that it says that he loves. And I'm sure there would have been a whole range of emotions from Abraham. And yet at the same time, it wasn't unusual in his mind. So with son and two other men, a donkey and wood in hand, ready for burning, they set off. And we have that remarkable conversation between Abraham and Isaac as they ascend the mountain together. As the two of them walk, Isaac says to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, 
I'm sure with tears in his eyes, God himself will provide that lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together because Abraham believed that the son, the sacrifice that would be provided was this promised son that he had received in his old age, the one that carried all the promises of God, that God had provided his sacrifice. And then we get to that scene, and Abraham has taken up a knife ready to slay his son to be able to earn the favour of the Lord. And God stops him. And he fulfills Abraham's own words in a new way by providing a lamb stuck in a bush, a ram caught by its horns in order to be sacrificed instead. And in doing so, God does more than just saving Isaac's life. In fact, he turns the sacrificial arrangement that Abraham knows, that the world knows, upside down. God supplies his own sacrifice rather than men having to do it so that he might give Abraham his favour. He supplies his own sacrifice out of a desire for Abraham, a desire to show Abraham mercy, not sacrifice. This is the understanding that the Pharisees are missing It's what they have forgotten. It's what we forget when we begin to apply our own rules and laws in order to honour the Lord. That he himself provided the lamb that we needed. He himself paid the cost to redeem us so that he would be satisfied and able to show his favour to those that he desired. And the lamb that God provided for Abraham was just a foreshadow that we know. A foreshadow of Jesus Christ, sacrificed and given by the Father and sacrificed on the cross on the mountain of Golgotha. So that we might receive mercy rather than sacrifice. That we might be free from that. And so we are the recipients of this mercy of God at his own cost. What a different arrangement. What a freeing arrangement compared to us bearing the costs ourselves to earn his favour. Instead, he bears it all by himself. So we need not create and keep rules and laws to gain the Father of God. We don't need to sacrifice. He has done it for us. Or from there, Jesus travels to the local synagogue and he encounters a man with a crippled hand, again on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are like flies on the walls. They've been, they're there and they're waiting for Jesus to encounter this man. And the moment that he's standing before him, they zoom in with a question to catch him out, as they do. And they ask the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Another work. 
And Jesus gives the Pharisees, who still have not heard him, not understood God's heart for his people, one where he desires to show mercy, not sacrifice. And they ask this question. And so Jesus responds yet again with another of his own concerning the care of endangered sheep. Israelites were known for the great care that they took for their animals. And the care of these creatures on a Sabbath day was in fact a current debate within rabbinic circles. The law that they had created to honour God and would at times lead people to death in the extreme followings of it was being debated over so that they could save their sheep. And while some rabbis are arguing that rescuing their sheep on the Sabbath day is so important, others are using that same rule to condemn people, to cut them out of the promises. How much more important is a man than a sheep? It's Jesus' words. How much more important is a man than a sheep? And as he says that, he heals the man that's standing in front of him with the crippled hand. Do we hear Jesus' words? Do I hear Jesus' words this morning? As he looks at us and he sees someone more important to him than a sheep. He does not leave us at the bottom of a pit or with a crippled heart unable to come to him. He doesn't leave us bearing the weight of sacrifice because we are more important to him than sheep. He sacrifices himself because of his desire for us. For he is a God of mercy. And it's honouring to God that we see each other and it's honouring to God that we see ourselves in the light of his mercy towards us. Rather than returning to that old dynamic of sacrifice and earning his pleasure. No holding self-made rules and demanding sacrifice from one another or from ourselves. That's not the arrangement that we have with him. He has provided it. And now we rest. Well, the Pharisees didn't like this. So they leave and they begin to plot against Jesus. They heard a message of mercy. They saw a healing performed by the one called the Son of Man, the Son of God, and the one that calls himself on this occasion the Lord of the Sabbath. And they prefer sacrifice, not mercy. They didn't understand the heart of God. They didn't understand how he could look at people like that. Their self-made laws were more precious to them. 
And God, this God of mercy, makes no room for such rules. No room for such laws, for they deny Christ. Laws that kill other people, that kill ourselves. We are not to sacrifice unto death, but live in mercy. Called to live in Christ, in his resurrection, to be living sacrifices, not dead ones, not crushed ones. And because of this, as we heard last week, with Jesus, we have rest for our souls. The law of God has been fulfilled in Christ, no longer pressing upon us like a heavy weight upon our shoulders. The laws that we make up to add to God's own laws, to honour him by our sacrifices that will never be enough, can be thrown out. God's law has been fulfilled in Christ. And now we live under the yoke of Christ. Under his yoke of mercy and we can rest have rest for our souls let's pray heavenly father we give thanks for your word this morning to hear your son say, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. To see it play out in Abraham. Lord, and we pray that it wouldn't stop there. Father, we would understand the very personal application of you being a God of mercy that desires it, that paid the cost Lord, of your favour, yourself, that we might be with you. Lord, we pray that we would be able to hear that today and that it would be real and true for us. Father, those places and those times in our lives where we, Lord, cling to rules and laws, uh, Lord, that we've either made up in our minds that seem good because they say at the end that we do it to honour the Lord or because just our hearts make them up. Father, when we're doing that, help us, Heavenly Father, through your truth, through the action of your spirit, Lord, to see and know them to be what they are. Sacrifice that has been, that is pointless for it's already been fulfilled in Christ. And now we stand in your mercy. Help us to be able to see your heart in those moments and know your desire for us, your love for us, and our freedom now. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you have done through your Son, for the sacrifice that you gave, and the life that we now live in him. In your name.